This is CliffCentral.com. Property, 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 I'm trying to invest. Money in by the neighborhood, that's how you rinse it. I could have bought a place in Dumbo before it was Dumbo for like $2 million. That same building today is worth $25 million. Guess how I'm feeling? Dumbo. It's time to buy back the block. Buy back the block. It's time to buy back the block. Buy back the block. Buy back the hood. I'm about to buy back the hood. Buy back the hood. Good morning, everybody. How are you on this Wednesday morning? You are tuned into Living It Up with Lerato Shabala here on Cliff Central. Remember, you can get the podcast. Uh, it's live from 10 until 11 every Wednesday, but you can get it anytime, anywhere, no matter where you are in the world. I've been so lucky. I have people from all over the world listening to us, whether you're in New York uh, or Lagos, Nigeria. It's cliffcentral.com. And I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Rally Mambewule Properties. You can go to rally-mambewule.co.za to learn more about the man himself. In fact, he will be here with me next week chatting about the Rally Mambewule National um, uh, Learnership, his initiative to help people who want to get into the industry. So a couple of days ago, I got a text message from Sanele Kumalo 80 on uh, Twitter who said to me he wants to know more about uh, building houses and uh, we need to get somebody in the studio and because what I do is make sure that uh, I speak to what you need to I got on the phone and then I got some people and today's show is going to be highly highly informative remember you can also follow us on um, our Facebook page for the show it's living it up with Lerato Shabala on Facebook Facebook and you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram is at Lerato TJ. I have the National Technical and Inspector Manager for the National Home Builders Registration Council or for short NHBRC, Mr. Fred Wagner. Morning, Fred. How are you? Morning, Lerato. I'm well, thank you. It nice is it is so lovely to have you here. We've already been chatting offline before we started about uh, the, the essence of the show and why we wanted you here and um, this is the first time we're actually speaking uh, to any kind of building society anything that has to do with building this is our first show on that we've had interior decorators we've had uh, designers we've had uh, banks and all these people but this is the first time we're really digging deep and I'm grateful for Sanela for suggesting this because I think it happens a lot so what I wanted to do Fred was basically start from what you'd call a very elementary level, okay, before we get into the mistakes that people make around building. When I was on uh, your website looking through earlier, I saw that one of the first things you mentioned um, is that before a homeowner builds, they need to ask the home builder for their current registration certificate. Now, for me as a consumer, somebody who doesn't know, what does the the, the registration certificate help with what does it say to me why do i need to know that the builder has this thank you lorato um you need to know that the builder has technical competence he's got the financial acumen and he's got project management skills and that is part of the requirements that the nhprc have to verify in terms of act 95 of 1998 which is the housing consumer protection measures act mm. so firstly it is a statutory requirement that where a builder builds a house 
that he'd be registered with the NHPRC and that he enrolls. And then the process of NHPRC vetting that the builder does have the technical competence, does have the financial acumen, and does have the project management skills to complete a project is very important to the consumer. Mm. So when you speak about project management, what are you talking about directly um, for somebody who doesn't know? Project management skills will entail... Uh, being able to tackle a project from the beginning to the end. Mm. Uh, it entails managing scope, managing time, managing cost, uh, yeah. managing human resources. That, that That is the main four components that you would ultimately have in a project management scenario. So making sure that the, the people are there on time, on site, when they need to. Uh, making sure that uh, you're running within uh, budget, uh, obviously. Absolutely. That that type of that type of thing. So I wanted to check uh, something with you. Um, when you say that uh, a, a builder is registered, why is that important for me as a consumer, as 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 a homeowner, as a uh, somebody who's going to build my own home? Firstly, as I said, is that NHBRC have vetted the builder and secondly, it provides you with a warranty. So the builder has to be registered. He has to enroll the property with NHBRC. Where there is a roof leak or structural, major structural distress, you would have access to the warranty that the NHBRC provides. If the builder is unable or unwilling to come to the party, NHBRC would then uh, source and builder to come and fix the roof leak or the major structural distress items that have been identified on the house. Uh, so it's absolutely beneficial to the consumer. So if, 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 if I am looking for a builder just to start with, would I start with the NHBRC or would I start anywhere uh, if I'm looking for somebody to build from? And later on we'll get into sectional titles, building for sectional titles and standalone homes. But uh, what is the best way to look for a builder? If Especially if you've never, like somebody like me, I've, I've often bought, I've only bought structures that are already up and running. So I have no experience. I'm asking this for myself and for others. How, where do you start in terms of looking for a builder? Because obviously somebody who's regist- registered with NHBRC is much better. But how, do, where does a consumer start? NHBRC have a website where we have home builders. Um, Ultimately, just looking at the website will give you a builder that is registered. Normally, it's better to um, find somebody with a track record, somebody that somebody have used before that is registered with the NHPRC, but have successfully completed the project for that person. Mm. Ultimately, going onto the website, you'll find the builder, you'll find that he is registered, but that would not necessarily tell you... Uh, that he has done that type of job, whether it's going to be a subsidy house, whether it's going to be a, a multi-story building or, go, or going to be a freestanding mm. house, as you said. So um, I put high value to track record to um, uh, proven uh, competence in the industry where he says he's competent. So NHPRC registration important, but also to check that he uh, has a track record in terms of what he says he can do. So the website that Fred is talking about is www.nhbrc.org.za that you can go to to find the builders. In fact, the point that you're making, the fourth point that I saw on your website, is about asking the builder to show you homes that they have done before. Now, for many people, this is awkward because they're like, because uh, it's because they're thinking, um, I should trust them, and this person saying to me they've built whatever home. Um, how would you s- 
suggest that you do you see one home do you see two homes or buildings or whatever the person has made how many would you suggest a person goes to see in order to be able to 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 check the builder's competency as it were well, i would definitely say more than one um because ultimately, if you ask the builder, show me the houses that you've done, he's going to take you show to you the, the best, best. product. <laughs> exactly. So uh, to, have to, to look at more than one and also to talk to the people because it's not only about the finished product that you see with the eye. It's also the interaction that you had with the contractor. Mm. Uh, conflicts, normally conflicts arise during construction. How was this uh, conflict uh, resolved amicably? Or was there a, a problem after they left that the guy said, I will never have this builder back on site? Mm. So it is important that you interact with people. I mean, we live in a society where people will tell you, they'll promise you the sun, moon, and stars. And uh, you know that. And then leave you hanging. And then leave you hanging. And then you are in a dispute. I mean, I'm in a separate dispute over a custom piece of furniture that I wanted made. And it has been two and a half months. In fact, almost three now since I ordered this furniture and it has not arrived. And one of the things I realized was even though I got an invoice and now we're going to get into technical parts about the contract, it's important to have a contract with Whoever is building your home, it is not enough to think, oh, here's Fred. He's really nice. He said he's, you know, he's built all these wonderful places and he's going to, you know, make me um, uh, a nice house. And then I just trust him based on that. In terms of a, a, a contract, um, how is that drawn up between the two of you? Is that uh, something that you're your builder would then bring to you and what should you be looking out for in the contract when you're signing it to build uh, uh, your home yeah Lerata that is a that is a major area of content um, firstly you're right uh, the handshake and the smile is not a contract anymore <laughs> so what you'd have to do is ultimately the builder is going to try and write a contract that would suit him. them. Absolutely. Suit them. Because, I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? No matter who you are, no matter what it is, if you can skew something towards your benefit, you will. Absolutely. And therefore, there is contracts in the industry, the JBCC, the FIDIC, uh, the NEC, the GEC. It's standard contracts that's available in the industry and that is balanced in terms of both service provider and consumer. Mm-hmm. To ensure that all the aspects in terms of contracting is covered, things like um, performance. Okay. If the guy does not perform within a time frame, that there's penalties applicable. Uh, provision that if there's escalation material, that those can be uh, entered into into the contract. Provision that the guy is only paid for what he has done, because I find that that is a major bone of contention. People paying for work that have not been completed. They end up with a house that is incomplete, but they have expended all their monies and mm. then try and run around to find out, but what can I do? And I have to tell you, builders, a lot of builders in the industry, if they have finished the project, finished the money, and the project is not finished, they do not have the financial acumen to go back and finish that project. Mm. So if they want to go back, they'll have to take it from the next project. So it's a, it's a knock-on effect. Uh, Jeez, it's like when people have a credit card and they're paying one credit card with another credit card. That's exactly it. So one uh, contract well, manage your finances well, 
and manage your builder in terms of your contract, and he can manage you in terms of your contract as well. I mean, we also have complaints from uh, that come to the NHPRC in regards to consumers that do not want to pay the builder. Mm. So there's two sides of the story. There's yeah. never just one side of the story. But I think if you have a good contract, you're able to manage your relationship. You're able to manage the contract in a, against set performance parameters that is specified in the contract. So I, one of my favorite so shows to watch, Fred, um, is uh, Grand. Designs, the, an architectural show, um, and I like the British version. And what one of the things they always say is that if your builder uh, says the budget is two fifty, you double it. Um, so is is that like a, a standard thing? So because when you're writing the contract and the person says it's going to be five hundred k, and then they come back and then they say they have found this and then they have found that and there's uh, a pipe that goes through the thing. So in terms of situations like that, I mean, how what kind of advice would you have for uh, people who are building a home? My advice would be involve the professionals. If you okay. involve a quantity surveyor, for instance, you will have a defined cost for the project. Uh, within your contract, you'll also provide for um, things that can go wrong, uh, additional items that might be preferenced by the consumer that he wants to put in, and therefore you uh, can apply site instructions. Mm. At the end of the day, the quantity surveyor can quantify the site instructions that were approved by yourself, and then it's a fair dispensation in terms of payment for what you got. Um, if you do not have that, you're unable to control your expenditure. It's also great to have a professional involved when you have to do, you have to meet payment stages. Mm. To say, but at this stage, I'm only going to pay you X because this is what we have. You read my mind because that was going to be my next question when you were talking about the contract, which is how do I then stagger the payments? Because a lot of, some people think, oh, it's in good faith. To show the person that I value them, so I'm going to pay them and and give them the money as opposed to you know holding back. And then some other people then think, um, no, I can only do fifty percent. Is that something that you put down in the contract to say at the beginning this is what I'll pay for because you do need to release some funds in you know for for material, but that you can't necessarily give everything because as you say you'll end up running after somebody who can't finish the house or pay you back. Very true. In terms of NHPRC, builders that are registered with the NHPRC are not allowed to ask for a deposit before right. they start building because that's where the biggest problem starts. They ask for a deposit and they never come back to site. They order the material, some of the material is delivered on site and then they just disappear. So registered builders in terms of our code of conduct are not allowed to ask for a deposit. If mm, you, I did not know that. If you are in the industry, you should have a, a credit facility, a 60-day facility with your supplier, or you should have the cash to be able to carry yourself until the first draws. In terms of draws, in the contract you will specify at what stages payment will be made. The problem is that you must verify that that payment stage have been reached when you make the payment so that you don't overpay. There's also a provision for retention that is retained on every payment stage. Okay. 10% retention is retained so that at the end of the day, after the 90-day defect liability period and all small uh, patent and latent defects have been sorted out, that you can then release your retention money, which is the final closure of the contract. 
Ah, so I I want to just to reiterate this, and if you've just tuned in, you are tuned into uh, uh, Cliff Central. You're listening to Living It Up with me, Lerato Shabal. I'm talking to the National Technical and Inspection Manager at the NHBRC, Mr. Fred Wachenar, and we're talking. Everything around building your home. Remember, this podcast is brought to you by Riley Mampuelo Properties. You can go to riley-mampuelo.co.za to learn more. Please understand what Fred said. A builder who is registered with an accredited body like the NHBRC does not ask for a deposit because the assumption is that he has the funds as a running healthy business to fund the first stages of building your home. I think we need to drive that point because a lot of people, I suspect, do not know this. I think a lot of people are not aware of this. And I think it's something that we need to specify and just stick to so that you remember it when you're sitting and you're looking at your contract. In terms of contracts, will they also specify a certain thing as um, how long the project is going to take? Um, yes. And, and it, it, are there variables in terms of how long it will take? The contract, uh, in terms of your contract, you are going to specify a contract period. Okay. And the contract period would ultimately also be tied up to penalties. If the guy do not complete in time, you're going to have expenses because you have to be out of your house in three months, the current house. Mm. You want to move in three months, you cannot move in. Now you have to pay for additional, you have to pay for rental somewhere else so that you can accommodate him. And that is the sort of penalties that it's normally applicable when a guy do not finish on time. So yes, within the contract, there is a specified time frame. When do you start? When do you finish? In terms of the second question in relation to, is there things that can affect, yes, there is things like vis majeure, acts of God. Yes, uh, conditions uh, that you cannot that you cannot contend with, and therefore you can then apply for extension of time. The contractor ah. can then, in terms of the contract, apply for extension of times, which will be condoned based on the proven facts that excessive weather conditions, so much raining that the contractors could not move on site, whatever the case might be. Yeah. So yes, there is provision in the contract. I wanted to go back to a point. I wanted to ask you what. In, in the easiest way that you can explain, does a quantity surveyor do? Because you mentioned that, you know, you'd want to involve a quantity surveyor. And I think, I, I know people listening are going to think, oh, so many terms. And so my job is to take what Fred knows and package it for you in such a way that you understand what it is that you, you'll need, uh, to know when you're building your home. A quantity surveyor would normally look at the architect's and engineering details for the project. Ah. And he would then go and he would quantify, uh, specify the material and quantify the material that has to be used. So it's the material specification, the quantification, and then the costing element that okay. he adds to it. So that costing element ultimately becomes your budget. Tells ah. you what it's going to cost because that ultimately includes all your elements, your construction elements as well as your preliminaries in general, your plant in general, the things that happen before the guy move on to site, mm. the hut, the provision for toilet facilities, etc., etc. Finishing with the ultimate end product where the retention is released. Quantity surveyor is also the person that in terms of progress would sign a certificate to say this is the amount of work that have been done to date and which you can pay for. Ah, so, okay, this is really interesting for me because I did not know this. Because basically they are the person who, who will be able to say, because remember home, home 
owners, and I know this for all of us, it is such a, a, an emotional experience. It is such a, a, an experience that you really have dreams about this home. You imagine what it's going to look like. And so a quantity survey is the person who's going to make sure that you get what you want when you want it within the budget that you want it to be in. And I, I, I think that sometimes when you hear, uh, certain things, you think, Oh, no, I don't want to pay this person. I can get one person to do everything. Every step that you skip in such a, an intense thing as building your home has huge ramifications both emotionally for you both financially and obviously in terms of you being able to move in your into your house as fred said so now that you know that a quantity survey is needed do not cut corners i i I want to drive this to to the people listening right now to this podcast you cannot cut Corners. We've seen buildings, Fred, where they are cracking, where they are lopsided, and it is because you did not do the simple things, as you said, to go and see what homes the other person has built, more than just one. Go look at that. Ask the people who've lived there. It's also nice to walk around and say, how long did it take? You know, those are essential questions to, to ask. You cannot skip a step, am I right? You cannot, you cannot take somebody out of the equation that is needed to build you your home. Rata, you are so right. You know, you, we've spoken about the role of the quantity surveyor, but the role of the architect is also important mm. because a lot of people think that, um, you know, they prepare to pay seven, seven, seven to ten percent for estate agents when they buy a secondary dwelling, mm. but they're not prepared to pay an architect to, uh, to design and oversee the project for you, especially if you are not technically competent to oversee the project. You can appoint your architect as the principal agent that will then overlook the work to ensure that there is full compliance with the specification, whether by the engineer or the architect himself. Mm. Um, the architect would ultimately also be able to ensure that you comply with the local building uh, law, uh, the National Building uh, Regulations and Standards Act, Act 103 of 1977, which specifically specify that you have to look at the soil conditions. The soil conditions is going to de- determine the foundation solution. The foundation solution is ultimately going to play a, a huge role in terms of future uh, performance of the structure. Mm. We spoke about cracks. If you do not have the right soil classification, you put in the wrong foundations, you can never fix the foundations. Foundations, you can crack in the wall, which is not related to the foundations you can fix. You can fix the roof. You can fix plaster cracks. But a foundation, you'd have to demolish the house to redo it. So a foundation is cardinal to the whole process. And uh, using a professional to ensure that you have followed all the steps, well, ultimately, I mean, the house is your biggest asset that you're going to own in your life. So you do not want to take a shortcut yep. anywhere where even the design, you know, um, a shoebox design might not have the same value as a design that is ultimately more aesthetically pleasing. In yes. terms of when you sell the product, it is, you spoke about the, uh, the, the, uh, the programs where you look at the architectural features built into these houses. That immediately appeals to the buyer. Mm-hmm. So when you want to sell, you have a product that is structurally sound, you have a product that is aesthetically pleasing, and as a consumer, you will only benefit by it. Uh- 
I think I think you mentioned such a uh, an important thing about it's not just about the aesthetics. As I said to you, you've had and we've had interior designers on the show. We've had all all kinds of people and that are about the beauty of the house, but the structure of the house and the foundation. And, and that's that's why I think for me, when people say we're building a foundation, it's an important thing because whether that foundation is in a business or you as a human being in terms of what you want to do for your life, that foundation. Whether that is an education for yourself is the same thing as for a house because it is the starting point. It is the part I always say the thing about foundation is that it's the part of the house that nobody ever sees, but it's the most important part of the house. So it's, it's, it, 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 it you cannot skip a step. You cannot skip a step. So we spoke about, you were talking about, uh, some of the, Defaults and defects in in uh, the 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 house. You were also talking. I was actually looking at uh, your website again, and you spoke about. They speak about the NHBRC talks about a snag list uh, that there's a three month. It says here that the NHBRC deals with three types of complaints: the uh, three month snag list, a one year roof leak, and a five year major structural defect. I thought that perhaps you could take us through that uh, for, for for just for ease of of understanding. Oh, great! Yeah, the 90 day defect liability that we refer to is that three months after you've. Um, after you've taken occupation of your house, you start compiling a list of things that you see. It could be patent, meaning visible by the eye. Okay. It's a light fitting that doesn't work. It's a door that's catching when you close the door. It's a, it's a tap that's leaking. Things that you a door that was not painted, a wall that was not properly painted, a ceiling that was not properly fixed. And you start making a list of all these small things. And what you do is, remember we spoke about retention. So every payment you do, you retain 10% of the retention okay. as retention. That is ultimately a kitty of money that is left over. And that is the carrot that brings the builder back to finish all defects that you ah. have. So after the 90-day defect liability period, you hand him the snag list. He comes, he fixes the snag list. You sign off on the snag list, and then you are able to instruct your quantity surveyor to release the final retention. Mm. So in terms of your 90-day defect liability period, it's something that's managed within the contract with the builder. It's managed by yourself because you retain the purse. So please do not make payment if you are not satisfied. Get to be satisfied before you release final payment. Important this, which means that even if you have the nicest builder and they say, listen, Lerato, just pay me this and I guarantee you, you say, you know what? I like you so much, Fred, but let's fix it first and then I'll pay you. I like what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> and then we look at the 12 month roof leak period. That's, okay. that's a common law requirement. Um, uh, and what has to happen within the first 12 months of moving into the house, it's normally two rainy seasons. If you have any roof leaks, the builder have to come back and fix. Okay. If the builder does not come back and fix the roof leak within that period, he can either be uh, insolvent, run away, gone overseas, whatever the case might be. You'd have a claim against the warranty fund. Okay. So in terms of your 90-day defect liability period, you manage that. So therefore, there is no claim against the NHPRC. We would accept a complaint. We will deal with a complaint, but there is no warranty on the 90-day defect liability period. There is a warranty on the 12-month roof leak period. Yeah. If, the, if there is a roof leak and the builder is not available, NHPRC would have to go back, point the builder, and uh, fix the roof leak. 
In terms of major structural distress, which is the third item covered under Section 13 of the Act, is 13.2b, in fact, is uh, major structural distress. Major structural distress is, for instance, where your foundation was under-designed, mm. where the wrong site soil classification we used. You look at uh, uh, cracks in excess of uh, 5 to 15 millimeter. You look at cracks that open up. You look at serious demolishment and reconstruction work that have to happen. The builder registered with the NHPRC have the liability to go back and fix the major structural distress. Ultimately, again, if he's not available, the NHPRC will be available and the NHPRC will come in and will fix. Mm, mm. And and uh, what, what I like about this, and, and I know um, particularly in a place like South Africa where a lot of the people, uh, a huge part of the population is still learning about this um, and a lot of people are inclined to go with somebody that they know, somebody that you know they feel like oh this person can do this for me uh, or sometimes you know you buy land uh, and the section of title people say oh go with our person you still as a person who is going to pay for the property have, have every right to find out if the person is has a certificate to see what properties they've done so that you're able to make an informed decision because all of it to end up in such a situation where you have to now be in a dispute is because you didn't have a checklist of things that you needed to say okay tick this is done tick this is done so that you're able to protect yourself it's all about protecting yourself and i think that your builder as well both of you need to be protected by this so that you are able to say okay at the end of this who knows you might build another Another home, you might know another friend and recommend that person, or have a really great relationship with that person. And I know people who are friends with their builders, you know, after that experience. So it doesn't have to be as painful as now being in a dispute. But once you've ticked all these boxes, you're good to go. I mean, that's that's the whole point. You know, it's so important that um, you have to know that you have to look after yourself. Yes, as you've said. Yeah. Nobody is going to look after you mm. if you do not have a good contract in place which ultimately determines the relationship that you're going to have and the performance from both sides. It always ends up in, in conflict. Mm. Um, and yeah, from an NHPRC side of uh, or perspective, we would like to have the builders being a friend of the consumer after he's completed the house. Mm. You said something earlier, the emotional impact. Mm. They say that um, if a marriage can outlast Building a house, the marriage will last forever. Now, <laughs> uh, so uh, similarly, um, if you have a builder which is tied into a good contractual relationship, yep. he knows exactly what the boundaries is. You know what the boundaries is. You know that if you're asking for extras to be done, you're going to have to pay for it. Exactly. If uh, the builder messes up and he has to redo, he knows that you are not going to pay for that. Exactly. Because that's part of the contract. And that's why it's so important to, as you say, have all the boxes to and ticked in the beginning and remember Fred might be known to Lerato as a good builder but Lerato uh, when uh, Sia comes through to contract with Fred he must tick all the boxes that's important to him exactly. to ensure that uh, Fred's going to deliver yeah Exactly. If you just tuned in, I'm speaking to the NHBRC's National Technical and Inspection Manager, Mr. Fred Wachanar. You can download this podcast from 10 o'clock. We are live from 10 until 11 every Wednesday here on Cliff uh, Central. You can also follow our Facebook page, our podcast Facebook page. It's Living It Up with Lerato Shabalala, where you can actually interact with us. Let us know what you uh, think of the podcast, particularly this podcast. And I just want to remind you once again, 
again that uh, this podcast is brought to you by Rally Mampewule Properties. You can go to rally dash to learn more. Now, I wanted to ask you, Fred, what are, in your view, are the top three mistakes that first time, um, Home builders, as it were, make when deciding to build their own home? I think the first mistake is um, to uh, decide that financial constraints are going to determine where I am going to buy. Mm. Um, first time home builders, I would always recommend buy the plot in the right area. Because it's not about only building the house, it's about schools, it's about accessibility, it's about distance to work. So decide firstly that the land that you're going to buy that you want to develop is in the right area. Yes. The second thing is involve professionals. The third thing that is important is this is an asset for life. Ensure that you treat it in that way uh, with the right respect, ensuring that you get what you pay for mm. and what you pay for is going to outlive your expectations outlive your bond period, if you're looking at a bond period of 25 years we know that um, you have to do maintenance, so acquaint yourself with what is required after you've taken occupation of the house, but the right the right uh, location mm-hmm. location, location, location uh, the second thing is that um, involve the professionals. You uh, said involve the professionals. Ensure that you get the aesthetic and professional input so that you can get a good quality end product, and then apply your uh, apply yourself in the circumstances where you have to take ownership of a property. Uh, in uh, in HVRC, we've seen a lot of people thinking that the builder remains liable forever. Fortunately, that's not true. As mm-hmm. soon as the house is handed over, as soon as you've run out of your 12-month roof leak period, um, as soon as you have run out of your five-year structural warranty, you have full liability of everything. Mm-hmm. Maintenance-related items that happen within that uh, period in any case is for your account. So if you do not maintain your house, you cannot now go and say, but the builder, because there's a liability. We know mm-hmm. that every three years you have to paint your house. Yeah. So, so and and you if you have gutters around your house and there's a tree around it and the leaves uh, get stuck in the gutters and then it ends up uh, making a roof leak after five years or whatever that is your problem. Absolutely your <laughs> yeah, problem. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, um, in, including sort of myself, when I first started with you know having a house, you just don't understand. You're like, I'm going to call this person and complain, mm. and then the bank or whoever says, No, sissy, it's your issue. You must maintain. Your house So it's also important to find out How it is you maintain your house It's it's incredibly Like it's so important So just to drive uh, Fred's uh, points again Think of the location Remember as Fred said This is a financial investment for your future You cannot buy in an area That is not Buy or build in an area that is going nowhere Ultimately in order to make Your return on investment You need to think about in 5 years time Will will there be schools in this area Will they be shopping malls Around this area What about the transport system To get around there Obviously it depends On which time of your life You're in I mean you might want to Build around a farm And what you want Is tranquility And you want silence So it's all about Your personal needs As you said Making the example of me And Sia No two homeowners Two are the same so you must think of what's important to you, but location determines everything. If you want a, to be a city city slicker, you need to make sure that you're in the right 
uh, environment for that But always think about your location And also as Fred said Don't let your financial constraints Be the determining factor For where you are going to build your home um, If you have And we're going to talk about budgets Because I was also looking at the website In terms of houses that are over 500k And houses that are 400k And how the NHBRC deals with that But we'll, we'll get to that in a second But think of that The second point is involve professionals I keep saying this. I understand that everybody has a budget, that you want to build a home, that you want to be in there within three to six months, that you have all these dreams of what your place is going to look like. You're going to have skylights in the roof and all kinds of things. And and, and uh, you're going to have lights that are automatically operated. If you want all the gizmos and whatever, you need to get somebody who can do it. You need to get somebody who who's going to make sure Fred spoke about a quantity surveyor The professionals It's the same way as you would Never let a truck driver Fly a plane Okay so The house is the same In order in 15 years or 10 years When you want to sell the house And make money you have got To use people Who are qualified To do it I'm going to say this over and over and over Because I understand how we are As a nation We want to help other people We don't believe in contracts Just make sure that you get the professionals And also the last point is to remember That this is an investment For you You are You are Building for your future. So make sure that all the money that you're putting in, that all the energy and the emotional struggle, and Fred was saying about a marriage lasting, is the same thing as having a builder a relationship with your builder. So in terms of costings, I know the NHBRC looks very differently at houses that are over 500k and and houses that are under. Could you take us through through that for a second, Fred? Currently at the NHBRC, we have two scenarios. We look at the subsidy product, okay. and ultimately that's where government plays a major role, whether it's financially uh, linked uh, individual subsidies, whether it's CRU, community, residential units, whatever. Government has got a, num- a number of subsidy programs. Mm. And then we have non-subsidy. We, we, we've divided it between subsidy and non-subsidy. Okay. Um, so if you look at the non-subsidy side, it could be any value. It's normally a bonded house or it's a house paid for cash, but where there is no subsidy money involved. In terms of NHPRC, the enrollment value of the house is the value that you have bought the land and the construction cost of the, of, of, of the project. You have to enroll the house for that value to NHPRC. Right. The, the value of that is if it's 400,000 rand, you have to add 1.3% to that because that is the value that you ultimately pay in terms of your warranty. If you, um, the maximum amount that you would pay is 34,000 rand in terms okay. of the warranty. Now, if you have a house that is in terms of redress uh, from uh, the consumer to the NHPRC, if you have a structural complaint, the maximum amount that would be paid out would be the enrollment value. If it's 200,000 house and the land was 200,000, that is the maximum amount that would be paid out. And would ultimately the 200,000 would be equated to the 1.3%. Uh-huh. If you ever have a house that is 5 million rands, you're going to pay 34,000 rands and you'll only be able to claim up to 500,000. But now you have to realize that you've got 34,000 rand, which provides you for a warranty for five years and provides you to access the 500,000 rands. There's no other insurance product. 
that could match that. Yeah, that's amazing. So the value is inherent and built into the end product that we deliver, the warranty that is available to the consumer. Mm. Jeez, I mean, that is something I totally didn't know. And I think it's it's great for consumers to know that uh, bodies like the NHBRC are built to help you to, to make sure. Because, you know, I, I think it's been about 30 years. Uh, the, the NHBRC started in 1994, 1995. Yeah, so about when, in the 20 new Demo- plus. Yeah, in the new democratic dispensation. So, yeah, it's been going for a number of years. Yes. And... Uh, Firstly, it was started as a, as a, as an, as a industry body for industry, by industry for industry. Then ultimately we had, uh, resistance from major players in the industry. And Vali Covert at the time, who was DG, uh, at the Department of, of Housing, at then Housing, became Humal Settlements, said, guys, if you don't play by the rules, I legislate. And in, in 1996, 97, we started drafting the legislation. And the act came to be in 1998, Act 95 of 1998, the Housing mm. Consumer Protection Measures Act, which ultimately then provides that it's now a statutory requirement for builders to register and to enroll. I can also mention at this stage that um, banks and conveyancers or financial institutions and conveyancers are also mentioned in the act. Mm. So it would be a transgression of the act if a financial institution would provide mortgage finance to a, on a house that is not built by a registered builder that is not enrolled. Similarly, a conveyancer cannot transfer a property when the property is not registered, the builder is not registered, and the property is not enrolled within HBRC. Ah. See, all this is really interesting to me. I wanted to find out, Fred, are there particular documents that you need to have before you start building? Are there certain things that you need to go, and where do you go for to attain certain documents before you can start any kind of building? Normally, before you start building, as a consumer, mm. you would ultimately have to know what where you're going to build, what mm. the standards, you have to know what the technical conditions is going to be. You need to identify the builder. You need to identify your professional team. And normally they will take you through the process because there is a process of plan approval. We've got Act 95 of 1998, which is the Housing Consumer Protection Measures Act. And then we've got Act 103 of 1977, which is the National Norms and Standards Act in terms of building. So thereby you have to go to the local authority. You have to submit a plan. The plan has to be approved. But if you involve the professionals, you as a consumer will not have the headache to draw up a plan, to draw up a specification, to go to the municipality and submit. You can make that as part of the professional appointment of, for instance, your architect to do that. So, Mm. yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of paperwork. But if you involve the professional team, it takes off all the pressure of yourself. Very important as a consumer, as you said right in the very very beginning, Lerato, is make sure the builder is registered. Make Mm. sure the builder is enrolled. Make sure the builder has a sound track record in terms of the project that you're going to appoint him. Do not appoint a builder that have built subsidy houses to do a multi-story, 10-story block of flats. Uh, yeah, because it's beyond the capacity. Check that he has the capacity. And I'm talking about technical capacity, financial mm-hmm. capacity. You don't want to have him start the project and then declare that I cannot continue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same as, I think that is such a good example to make. Um, all of us are competent at something. I mean, I can 
twist my dreadlocks, but I can't style them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, some people can shave beards, but they can't. So it's all about, it's not to say somebody can't do something, but if you're asking them to do something above the level that they are used to, there are obviously ramifications for you. We are not saying do not trust somebody that you believe in, uh, but Understand that if they are only used to building a certain kind of structure, it, 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 there might, it, there might be problems. I wanted to ask you, is there a difference when you are building within a sectional title that is for people who are thinking, what is that? A townhouse situation to a standalone? It, is there, are there, is there a difference in, in terms of, uh, when you're building in that way or is it, is it all the same? In terms of technical requirements, there is no difference in terms of technical requirements. Mostly it's management requirements. If mm. you're building in a sectional title scheme, for instance, you'll have a body corporate or an oversight, and which will ultimately guide you in terms of aesthetic requirements that you have to be compliant yep. to, which is totally different where you have a standalone, one uh, a house on a stand, where mm. you have total ownership. You don't have to speak to anybody. There's no private and communal areas. When you go into a sectional title, you have private areas have communal areas normally your swimming pool your roads etc your parking areas might be allocated mm. so there's um, there's different things that you have to consider when you do uh, sectional title sectional title also is now a clustered number of units within a development security oh, okay. development and uh, there is more things that become into play like stormwater management because when you are one house on one stand, you can manage your own stormwater management. Now mm. you're sitting in a sectional title where there's a house above you and you have stormwater that comes from that house to your property that have to be managed. Mm. So it becomes more intricate in ensuring that uh, the whole where you only have one house on one stand to make that house work, you know, more intricate in making all the houses work together yes. in unison. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually realized that one of the things that we needed, I needed to mention is that one of the reasons why you need to go and check with the municipality, depending where you're building. So for instance, there could be rules around the type of houses it, that can be built. It, it, it could be a situation where houses are not meant to be above particular stories because they'll block the view of, of other uh, homeowners. Or it could be that you're building around a national uh, site and there's certain structural things you can't do. For instance, I have a friend who's got a house in the CBD in Joburg and he could not change the bay windows of that particular building. He could do everything. He could do certain things inside. But in terms of how the building looked outside, he needed to keep it within the fashion because it, that particular building is considered a national um, building heritage. heritage site. So it's important to to find out before you build because you may end up uh, transgressing. Uh, so it's it's not necessarily to make things difficult for you. It's just so that you don't find yourself having to um, pay for making a mistake that you could have avoided by asking first. So <laughs> I have to tell you that's an excellent statement because <laughs> okay. that thing that that's something that we haven't covered is the town planning requirements. Yes, yes. So when you ultimately want to purchase land where you want to build, let them give you the town uh, the township establishment conditions, the rules applicable to the township, which mm. will guide you in terms of servitudes, building lines, uh, coverage, uh, if you are floor area ratios, it will tell you what you can build on that house, mm. and then you also need to look at the title deeds okay. which is a separate document the title deeds will ultimately inform you in terms of height as you've said in terms of can you go double story can you not go double story uh 
what your coverage is going to be, etc., mm. etc. Et where there is a servitude, you cannot build over that servitude. What is the restrictions in terms of development on that stand? So the two things is uh, your title deeds is very important, mm. but it's also good to know what the township establishment conditions uh, are, uh, which is applicable to that specific site. Because that will, as I said, that will help you ultimately in in not wasting your time, wasting your money, making you stressed. Because if you don't involve the professionals and you want to do it yourself, you have to go in front. Of that body and make a case for whatever you want to do. And there's there's times when when people have lost with the municipality says or, or the town planners are like, actually no, we gave you the title deed, you knew what you shouldn't do, and you still did it anyway. So you have got to fix it, which is why the more knowledge you have, the better things will be. Um, I'm in the studio with Nash, the National Technical and Inspection Manager at the NHBRC, Mr. Fred Wachener. You will be able to download uh, this podcast from 10 o'clock this morning on a Wednesday and listen to it wherever you are in the world. This is uh, cliffcentral.com. My name is Lerato Shavala. Remember that you can um, uh, follow us on uh Follow me, actually, on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Lerato TJ. And also become a Facebook friend for the Living It Up page on uh, Facebook. So you can actually get involved and start talking to us m- more. In fact, today's uh, topic was inspired by uh, a listener, Sanele Kumal, who, who wanted us to talk about building a house. Now, I wanted to ask as, as I wrap up, is there a difference between a contractor and a builder? In terms of NHBRC, we have uh, two uh, defined categories as a developer okay. and a builder. A developer uh, might not have the capacity to build by himself, but he's the guy that will buy out the land, put in the infrastructure, and then sell the stands off. Okay. And then if you want him to build for you, you enter into a building contract with him, he will appoint a builder to do the work. So both the contractor and the builder have to be registered with the NHPRC. In the case where you contract with a developer rather the, uh, or a developer contractor rather than a builder, the uh, both have to be registered and the guy that will do the enrollment is the developer that have developed the land. Oh, okay. So do you usually have to get both or can you or can you get one without the other in you can get one without the other if okay. you contract directly with a builder then the builder is going to build okay but we have scenarios where we have bigger guys bigger developers that uh, are more specifically looking into buying land developing the land rather than getting involved in the physical construction itself okay but if you contract with that guy to buy the land and it's a building contract so you buy the land and you want him to build for you he has to then contract with a registered builder to build but the guy that ties and carries the liability is the developer because he determines the specification he signs the contract he's tied ah. into the contract with the consumer so yes in terms of NHPRC we have made provision for registration of developers and builders uh, and in the case where you have a developer that is not in the norm of building he has to enter into a, a separate contract with a builder but he is the guy the developer has, has to be the guy that has to be enrolled we have seen in the history where developers have abused builders yes in fact that's what I was about to get to that I've seen a lot of cases Obviously, watching architectural shows and learning about property, yeah. where the the developers and the builder get into a dispute, and the the builder is changed after X amount of time, the project still continues, but it just means that that relationship has not worked out. 
Is it just because somebody's going to benefit more than the other? And maybe the builder's saying, look, you do need to do these changes and the developer's looking at the money and the... Is it that yeah. kind of thing in terms of the abuse that you speak about? It's a volatile relationship. Yes. The developer ultimately wants to make most money out of it. Yep. The builder does not want to, does not want to concede. He also wants to make money out of it. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a problematic relationship and you will find, and that's why it's so important that the developer is the guy that enrolls. So mm. if the builder leaves, he is still free to appoint anybody because he has, he takes full ownership, the developer takes full ownership of what happens on site. So if Fred leaves, he can appoint Lerata to finish the project within the time, budget, scope, cost. Uh. Ah, so my final question, and by the way, if you are listening now and you're thinking, and you're thinking, you know, I, I, I want to get all this information. I'm going to sit down and write everything down, but where do I go? You can go to the NHBRC's website, which is www.nhbrc.org.za, or you can call uh, their toll-free number, which is 0800 200 824. Okay, let me say that slowly. It is 0800 200 824 or go to www.nhbrc.org.za to actually get more info. Um, so lastly, Fred, what, uh, once again, for people who were not, who sort of missed it, the top three or top five things that you need to consider first or need to do or have on your checklist before you choose to build, to choose a builder and start building your house. It's very important that you know what your budget is going to be. It's important to have locality, decide to buy in the right locality because that's going to ultimately determine your asset value. Involve your professionals so that they can take care of it. Also in terms of professionals, we have not mentioned it, Lerato, but professionals have to be registered with their professional councils, whether it's architects, engineers, quantity surveyors, mm. town planners. They also carry professional indemnity insurance. Mm. So where they are negligent, you're able to claim against their professional indemnity insurance. So involve the professionals. Uh, fourthly, ensure that the product that is going to be delivered is in accordance with the contract that you've entered into with the builder. Mm. Do not accept inferior work just because I need to move into the house. Ensure that you have an effective contract that covers all the loopholes and that covers also penalties where the guy is not producing in accordance to uh, the said contract. And lastly, remember that the property is an asset. Maintain it, keep it up, um, look after it. You want to sell it eventually and make some money out of it. That's what we want to do. That's why we have houses. Thank you so much. That is Mr. Fred Wagenaar, the National Technical and Inspection Manager at the NHBRC. You have been listening to Living It Up with Lerato Shabala here on Cliff Central. You can catch us next week as I speak to the man himself who sponsors the show, Mr. Ralimampewule, about the Ralimampewule uh, learnership, helping people become uh, uh, real estate agents and be financially sound themselves. Thank you so much. Fred, for an incredible conversation, for being so helpful to so many of us. Um, it has been great uh, having you on the show. Thank you, Lerato. It was cool. great being here. And um, yes, I hope that, it, that I've inspired people. Yes, to do you it have. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you have. And we look forward to having you again next time. 
Remember, follow us on uh, uh, Facebook, on Twitter, on it's at cliffcentral.com or go to Facebook for the podcast's page, Living It Up with Lerato Shavala, or follow me at Lerato TJ on Instagram and on Twitter. We will catch you again next week between 10 and 11. You can download the podcast anytime, anywhere, no matter where you are. This is Living It Up with Lerato Shabalala here on cliffcentral.com. Check you out next week. Bye everybody. Property, 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 property. I'm trying to invest. Money in by the neighborhood. That's how you rinse it. I could have bought a place in Dumbo before it was Dumbo for like two million. That same building today is worth 25 million. Guess how I'm feeling? Dumbo. It's time to buy back the block. Buy back the block. It's time to buy back the block. Buy back the block. Buy back the hood. I'm about to buy back the hood. Buy back the hood. This is CliffCentral.com.